Let's pray. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He lifted, up, lifted me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth. I hymn a praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Oh God, we pray these very words from Psalm 40 would be true and evident in our lives and the life of this church. May the words of my mouth and the, the meditation of my heart be wholly acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This morning's uh, scripture reading is from uh, Luke chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus, the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. I'd invite you to please stand in honor of God's word to hear the reading. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I give it to, you, to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command the angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all these tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. Growing up, my mom babysat about a dozen kids before and after school. And so I had lots of playmates at home and at the park across the street from my house. We would play tag. We'd play kickball. We'd play hide-and-seek. We'd climb trees. I grew up in hippy-dippy uh, Berkeley, California. And so, of course, all of my toys were shared by everybody. <laughs> they were in my stuff all the time with my friends. But they paid the bills, so that, that kind of worked out. I remember playing before and after school every day. And we would play some very dangerous games with my friends, too. Uh, these are games that probably we don't see kids playing uh, nowadays. Uh, this is long before game consoles and, and joysticks. We played war. War games. And we're talking, we used rocks. And we'd cut down two-inch thick sticks of bamboo, and we'd, we'd go after each other. We'd play, we'd play cops and robbers, samurai warrior, cowboys and Indians. You can't say that anymore, can you? But that's what we'd play. We'd play army man and, I, I don't know, Russians or something. Now, nobody, nobody got seriously injured. Um, a few scraped knees. I remember getting hit in the back with a rock. Somebody almost lost an eye, but nothing too serious. 
And whenever one of the kids got hurt, they'd always go running to my mom and screaming blade murder that, that I had hit them because that's usually what happened. <laughs> and my response was, like, oh, we're just playing around. We're just playing around, playing war. The same can be said of Christians just playing around with prayer. We're, we're like kids pretending to be warriors. But, but if we engage in play, pretend, spiritual warfare, someone is bound to get hurt. So when a friend comes uh, to you or me with a spiritual crisis, something that's serious, that needs prayer, we are engaging in warfare. Especially when that crisis has gone to the point beyond temptation into sin. There's a crisis at hand. There's no pretending, there's no running to mom for help. When you or someone you love is in a spiritual crisis, when you say, I'll pray for you, you need to understand what you're getting yourself involved with. You are saying that I am going to evoke the holy name of Jesus Christ, the name above every name by which every tongue will confess and every knee will bow on heaven and earth and below the earth before him. It's not just a quick, I'll pray for you, and then we just forget about it. We're called to engage in spiritual warfare. And, and my concern is that many of us here are living outside the wire, exposed to all manner of temptation that leads to sin, and we're losing small battle after small battle, and we're crying out for help, and someone says, I'll pray for you. We throw up one prayer, and then we move on. Instead of taking spiritual battle seriously, we're battling and battling oftentimes on our own and we're losing those fights because we're denying the clear orders and directives of Jesus, number one, to live inside the wire and number two, to pray as he taught us right here on the screen, Matthew 6, 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, Matthew 6, 13. Now what exactly do the sixth and seventh petitions of the Lord's Prayer mean? What, what, what is Jesus trying to communicate here? Why does he sell, say, pray like this, lead us not into temptation? Temptation means uh, desiring something that's wrong or, or unwise. Why would Jesus do that? Jesus doesn't want us to pray that way, right? His brother James wrote this, James uh, 1.13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting you. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So why pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation? It sounds like he's saying, pray that God doesn't tempt you to sin. Well, this can cause confusion, but with a little explanation, I think that it'll become clear. First off, the word temptation in the original language that's written here in Greek is parasmas, and it means temptation. It means temptation being lured to something that leads to rebellion against God. But it also has another meaning. And the other meaning is trial or test or proving of one's integrity. The Lord God does not tempt us to sin. It doesn't lure us into doing something that's unsavory. That's contrary to the, the character and nature of God. But the Bible is clear that, that he does allow his people to go through times of testing. You probably raise your hand, you know, I won't call on you, but have you ever gone through a time of testing of your faith? A time of proving, a time of, of challenging, a time of trial. 
God never tempts, but he often sends trials to train us up. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, quote, God will lead us to battlefields where we must face the full array of evil and conquer through the blood of the Lamb. This leading into temptation is by divine grace for our good, since by being tempted, we grow stronger in grace and patience. And in just a moment, we'll look at Jesus in the wilderness being tempted and tested, just as you and I are tested. The, the, the Father permitted the, the devil to, to attempt to, to tempt Jesus to sin, but, but God is never the, the ancient of, of temptation. That might sound like splitting of hairs, but it, but it really isn't if we just think about for just a moment of what the goal is in mind, in the mind of God that's, that's revealed to us in Christ. When, when Cheryl and I wanted to teach Jonathan how to swim, and he's an excellent swimmer, excellent swimmer, what did we do? Well, we took him to classes, but we taught him on our own, and there was an indoor Olympic-sized pool in Maryland, and we would take him there to the edge of the water, and I'd, I'd teach him how to, how to dive in. Do you ever do that? You kind of hold your kid's hips and let him flop in the deep end. Because if he can swim, whether it's two feet deep or 20, what's the difference? And he could swim. <laughs> the outcome of doing this was we wanted to raise a swimmer. To raise a swimmer, they got to get in the water. And to raise spiritually mature believers, we've got to engage in the midst of trials and temptations in which he leads us through them. Again, this, this isn't a game. Satan does not want God's children to swim. He wants them to sink to the bottom and drown over the chaos of this world. And so you're calling on, on God as father. That's exactly the opposite of what he wants you to do. He wants you to mistrust and distrust God. In fact, he sows seeds even in our church culture. Let's not even use the word father for God. That's just unbecoming because we have problems with our earthly dads. So let's just mess that up. Let's mess anyone in, in authority, a male figure in authority. What can we do as Satan's thinking to completely eradicate that and cause incredible distress of someone in a place of authority and let your mind wander to think about the scandals that we see that, that, that need to come to the live day, but how Satan is winning at that. Sowing seeds of doubt. He doesn't want us to hallow God's name. He wants us to, to yell back at God. He doesn't want God's kingdom to come or his will to be done. He wants to deprive children of bread. He wants you to hold on to that grudge that you're carrying. He doesn't want you to have a forgiving spirit. The point is this, the second clause of this, these two petitions, the second clause defines the first. Deliver us from the evil one defines lead us not into temptation. It's the devil who seeks to turn testing of your faith testing that leads to, has the potential of leading to a stronger faith. He wants to turn those tests into something that, that, that's evil and wrong and bad. God using a test that can refine and, and prove and strengthen your, your faith, he wants to use that to tempt you to sin and turn against your Father in heaven. This is spiritual warfare 101. So take a note, write this down. The enemy turns tests into temptations. The enemy turns tests into temptations. And then the reality is it doesn't take much for the devil to, to win his side 
of turning a test into a temptation. I mean, I fold like a sack of cards easily when I'm tempted. I've got one foot over the wire. I'm already leaning that way. I already have a predisposed uh, fleshly heart that wants that thing. That temptation comes, and I fold. He doesn't need to use all of his resources. It's so often. So often. The Lord's given such a clear out. The Spirit's prompted my heart, and I just, I don't want to listen to it. Can you relate to that? So I'm liable to fall fast when I especially am prayerless. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He starts his ministry out experiencing temptation, the full onslaught of temptation. If, if we think, well, he's God, but he's also fully man. He does this so that he can relate to us fully as the human experience that we experience. He experienced all of it. Hebrews 4.15, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So when we pray, lead us not in temptation, we're praying, Father God, guard us from the devil, from his schemes, from the world, from our own sinful nature, that we wouldn't be uh, misled, that we wouldn't be deceived, that we wouldn't give in to to shame, great shame and, and vice and sin, but Lord, you lead us through it and strengthen our faith. We pray that for ourselves. We pray that for our brothers and sisters. Jesus says this is living on a prayer. It's an everyday prayer. We end the day praying, forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. God, I want to get right with all the junk that happened today. And we start the next day with, okay, here comes a new day, a new set of of battles and temptations. Protect me, O God. But we need to see, I want you to see, that God works in his sovereign grace the testing and trials, ultimately for our good. That's why they're happening. But when I've given in to sin, even when I've given in to sin, I can recognize my need for more grace. God, I come back to the Lord with my scraped knees, with a, a rock in my back, or maybe I've caused, I've inflicted that harm, and say, Lord, I need more of your grace, more of your forgiveness, more of your healing. And it continues. John Owen summed it up like this. If we do not abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. If we do not abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. So Lord calls us to be persistent in prayer, which will be the theme for next week. Now let's look briefly at the temptation passage here. Uh, Referencing here uh, the Lord's Prayer, let's take a look and see uh, what's going on here? Matthew's uh, version, uh, it's, it's recorded in three of the Gospels. He says that this scene happened, this is Matthew 3, just after John the Baptist has baptized the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove and he comes out of the water and he hears a voice from heaven, verse 17, Matthew 3, a voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And that's going to be the the basis of the three temptations that we hear. Is that true? Is the father really in love with his son? Is he really pleased with him? So let's look at the text. Filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus is led into the wilderness. Forty days would call to mind the 40 years in the wilderness of the children of Israel and how they stacked up compared to 
Jesus, the, the second Adam, the true Israel, uh, in his 40 days of temptation. Imagine nearly six weeks of not eating. I can barely make six hours. And it doesn't say he didn't drink any water. It says he, he ate nothing. You just imagine how much weight you would lose over that time. And it says the devil tempted him, not at the end of those 40 days, but it says throughout that time, temptation after temptation again and again. Was this a physical manifestation? Was it a vision? We don't, we don't know. Does it matter? No. Let's just get into the text. What it says here is that from the very outset, of, before he's even started his ministry, Jesus is taking steps towards a Roman cross. All of his life was a war between light and dark, truth and lies, heaven and hell, and the struggle to save. Doubt this really happened, and Satan can already say, I can score one for my team. Verse 3, if you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He, he, Jesus, uh, saying, saying to Jesus, look where you are. Look where the spirit of God has led you out to this God-forsaken plain. Turn these rocks into sourdough bread. Take care of yourself. I'm worried for you. The devil the devil wants us to doubt the word of God. The devil wants us to be dissatisfied with the word of God. Jesus, he says, just take it on yourself. Turn these rocks into bread. You've been forsaken out here, but you have the power, you have the authority to take back some control and to feed yourself. Verse four, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. This is the first quote from Deuteronomy 8, again referring to the, the, those 40 years of testing in the desert. He stands up. There's a parallel passage here. Jesus is speaking truth against this temptation. He's saying, I will depend on the Father. He's led me here for a reason. I, we don't know why we're there or why he's there, but he's trusting the Father has a plan. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. The devil wants to mislead us and distract us and most of all, keep us from praying. So verse five, it says, the devil led Jesus to a high place uh, to see, it says, all the kingdoms of the world. That is what clues me into thinking this is a vision. I mean, what place, what point uh, would you be to see all the kingdoms of the world? So there's this spiritual plane battle that's happening. He says, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I will give it to anyone I want if you, what? Worship me. It will all be yours. The evil one offers to us in this world where he operates incredible, enticing things. He, he has the ability to offer you incredibly enticing things. He promises the desires of your heart. And that's what he's offering to Jesus, a shortcut, a bypass, past the cross. He says, I can give it to you, everything, if you just worship me. And that's what he says to us. Just worship me. Just give in. I can give you everything. Any part of your faith that's unpopular or hard to understand, just dismiss it. DIY, do it yourself. Figure it out for yourself. 
You deserve better. We were praying before church, and we are thinking together uh, things to pray. And Rob asked me to pray, and as I'm praying, I'm thinking about couples I know that are struggling in their marriage, even in this place, in our church. I'm thinking the lies Satan says to us, even, even through people we call friends, like, you'd be so much better outside this marriage. Just get out when you can. Take the shortcut. No delay. No narrow road. No self-denying love. No taking up your cross to follow Christ. Take the easy way. Jesus says in verse 8, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. For a second time, Jesus withstands. He has his guard up. He's just taking these blows and he's just blocking them. Finally, it says that the devil led him uh, to a place described as, quote, the highest point of the temple. This would be a, a point overlooking the Kidron Valley, overlooking uh, all of, of Israel. This very place of the temple that represents God meeting his people on earth, the very presence of God, the very provision of God, saying, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then Satan does something that he's so good at doing. He quotes scripture. He, he would definitely win a Bible quiz, wouldn't he? He knows scripture. He quotes from Psalm 91. He twists and turns the meaning. He says, throw yourself down so, so everyone will see just in an instant that you are the son of God. God, God, God the Father won't allow you to, to hurt yourself. Just jump. Take a leap of faith, he's probably said. And now Jesus lands a devastating right hook. Verse 12, he answered, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And this says the devil was finished with his tempting. He left him until an opportune time. Now the application of this passage is usually to tell Christians to follow Jesus' example uh, by using scripture when facing temptation. Right? You've probably heard that. Use scripture when facing temptation. And that's true, and, and that's a good lesson to be had. That, that, that's an important aspect of battling spiritual warfare. Uh, my warning from the outset was, was that most of us are playing around with spiritual things. Number one, we're not taking the threat seriously. Number two, we're not praying persistently. And number three, we're not in God's word continually. And those are all true. But there's something deeper something deeper that's also going on here that gets at our theme of living on a prayer. I want you to hear this. Jesus models for us what gospel faith looks like in the real world. It's about trusting the Lord to provide rather than making decisions based on the urgency of a situation. How many of us have faced an urgent situation? We need to make a decision right now uh, our resources are depleted. We have to decide right now. And it's in the midst of that type of struggle and strain that we throw up a prayer, we throw in a prayer request, and then we just roll the dice. Now, I can't be tempted to turn stone into bread. But I can surely be tested to take the easy way out, to make hasty decisions based on, on something I think is lacking, based on something I think that I need. I can even do that for the sake of our church. Like, we, we want to flash uh, new life into our church. We want new exciting things to happen. So let's just, let's just make this decision quickly and hastily, and let's just jump in the deep end instead of listening and waiting on the Lord and trusting his provision. 
That applies to me right now. I'm preaching to myself the gospel. See, there's a deeper insight to, to gospel faith that has real life implications because this passage also speaks to all of us who struggle with entitlement. Don't raise your hand. I'll raise it for, for all of us. We all struggle with that, don't we? Entitlement? How many times have I been tempted with a message from culture, Pete, you deserve it. You deserve it. You've, you've earned it. You've come so far. And it won't hurt anybody if you, if you do that for yourself. That enticement to take the easy way instead of trusting, as Jesus says, trusting in the provision of God. See, again, there's, there, as I said, deeper principles at work here. When you're facing a crisis, when you're facing entitlement, when your body begins to betray you, when things start to shut down and you even experience real suffering, the devil wants you to give in. But faith in Jesus calls you to look to the Lord. This is the basis of gospel living, to keep our eyes fixed on him, to bring glory to him, to see that God's got the devil on a chain, like a junkyard dog. So we're having church right now, but we're about to, we're about to have church. I love Rob and the team to start getting up here, getting ready. The, the devil can only go so far to menace and threaten a child of God. But if you've got Jesus, you are an adopted child of God. And he's got the devil on a chain. But people were nervous about this morning. I was a little nervous about this morning. Whenever I preached about this kind of theme of resisting the devil, weird things happen. Technical things break down. Well, people are showing up. Things are working. But God's got the devil on a chain. So if you're taking notes, I want to leave you with three things. Three, three words of encouragement and three passages of God's word to you. Number one, if you are united to Christ, remember you share in the redeeming, resurrecting power of God. Resist the devil. Resist temptation. Resist it. James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist it. Number two, when you are tempted to do something foolish, we can all agree we've done some pretty foolish things. <laughs> something that that so easily can be excused as, well, it's not going to harm anybody. It's pray on it. Pray on it before you make that dumb decision. I promise you, God will show up by the Holy Spirit and give you a word of encouragement and advice and even correction. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. What a great word, being watchful and thankful, thankful for what God's already given us. Resist it, pray on it, and number three, endure it. When the test comes from the devil, he tries to sink you, put your trust in God, and endure that onslaught, relying on the grace of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, praise God and claim this promise. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Resist it, pray on it, endure it. The one thing the evil, evil one wants is a Christian who's prayerless. 
He's not afraid of prayerless Christians. Just live your life, go to church, pay your taxes, just do life as long as you don't pray. The one thing the devil's afraid of is Christians on their knees in prayer. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, help us resist the appeals of our own self-interest to power and to spiritual pride. Don't let our joy be stolen from us. Give us a way out. Give us wisdom. Strengthen our friendships in this body of Christ. All our hope is in you, Lord Jesus. We're free and forgiven. You broke the bonds and loosened the chains. Carry the cross of my shame. You know I believe it. Oh, yes, indeed, I found it. I found what I'm looking for. Free and forgiven. Amen.